Well, good morning. I've just had um, an incredible week of uh, synchronicity, synergy even. But for me, it just doesn't work. I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Um, Carl Jung's happy fiction doesn't work for me because it's fiction. I'm more of uh, William James's uh, Sick Souls. And what I mean by that is I've had an incredible amount of uh, synchronicity in, in uh, well, my practice uh, this past week or so. I mean, it's just one small part of what I do. I, I know I only share a small portion of my life. But doing the I Ching the past week, it's been incredible, especially since I've been sharing uh, more insight into how Carl Jung used it and, and some of my own theories. Just this week alone, it's been incredible. Just to give you an idea, I was just ask. I usually just ask for guidance, and it's been hovering around the exact same uh, gua. And just to give you an idea of, of how absolutely uh, synchronistic it is, I had uh, gua forty four yesterday, which talks about and the particular line that was moving talks about holding back. Uh, a lean pig, which is a, a metaphor for someone who's, you know, desperate and hungry, right, with a break. And then today, uh, Gua, was it uh, 37 or something? I'll have to go back and check. Uh, I've been, uh, I just finished up uh, a podcast. Uh, so that was uh, something I was working on prior to the podcast. But anyways, uh, it says the exact same thing about a lean pig and, and a break. Uh, but not the most um, synergistic of all. Uh, what is most synergistic, because if you've been following my podcast, you know I have these crazy, or so I thought they were, crazy theories when it comes to insight, when it comes to meditation, mindfulness, dyslexia, and other sort of uh, perceptual uh, disabilities. And I say perceptual because they're perceived as disabilities. I don't think they are. Uh, I'm going to do a separate podcast on this whole idea, and it'll probably be this one. Uh, it's a, a video on uh, psychedelics, consciousness, and most important, creativity. This is where the synchronicity came in. So it's not just talking about whether we can access the self, as Carl Jung talked about, right? Uh, opening up these doors of perception, as Aldous Huxley said, uh, giving us access to... Um, what's below the surface, right? As Jung said, the, the self is our totality. The I is what we perceive to be our totality. So we have to get in touch with who we truly are, know thyself, the Greek maxim, uh, and also what the, uh, the I Ching today said, and then the final thought of the podcast uh, finished on. So this podcast is very interesting because, as I said, it's not just talking about uh, understanding consciousness, but it was talking about uh, accessing greater creativity and what's beautiful in anything you do. Uh, very synergistic to uh, Austin Kleon when I've talked about this idea that uh, creation is valuation. Valuing is creation. So anything you value uh, that you give birth to or you nurture. I mean, that's creation. So you don't have to be an artist in the sense of painting or drawing or singing or dancing. As your, Carl Jung says, the only way to survive life is to dance. Uh, 
dance through it. So we're all an artist by simply living is what that's talking about there, right? Dancing, the dance of life, dancing through this entropy, this chaos that is existence. I know, I sound, I sound absolutely loony, but it's only because it's incredible how synergistic this has become. And I'm going to go through this podcast because, believe it or not, I know it's not terribly in-depth, but the host, or the moderator, whatever you want to call him, is a physicist. And he had on um, a couple of scientists, uh, Rick Doblin, I can't remember what his exact field is, and another uh, lady, her name is Gul something, I can't remember what her last name is. Um, she's a neuroscientist, I believe. She's got a PhD and an MD, I believe. Uh, and then Reggie Watts, the artist, beautiful. I love that. It was really, really well done putting that together. And it was important to have Reggie Watts because just like so many other researchers in the field of psychedelics, and what's sad, here's the first little insight into what they missed. They were dancing around psychotropic, psychedelic, and they even talked about how it doesn't have to be hallucinogenic, doesn't even have to be a psychedelic, even though psychedelic means mind-revealing. It doesn't have to be what they define as psychedelic to be mind-revealing. So they didn't talk about the term that I love, entheogens, but neither here nor there. What's important is over and over again, they show how little experience they have. In fact, the, the host, the moderator, who's a physicist, had one experience with what he calls psychedelics. He couldn't remember if he ate it or smoked it. it was even made fun of by one of the co-guests. Uh, because he's like, well, if it was in Amsterdam, it could only be like one of a couple things. Because it's not like you're going to get some sort of weird, out-of-the-realm uh, drug in, a, in an Amsterdam cafe. They don't mess around. It's either going to be psychedelic truffles because some idiot who was already loony went off, went off the deep end on mushrooms. So that makes sense. Let's ban mushrooms, but we still have the truffles. Whatever. Uh, there's no way in heck that you would not remember, in my opinion, whether you smoked it or you, or you ate it, but whatever. So this gentleman likely just smoked some hash or some pretty good weed, and that's exactly what uh, the co-host said. And supposedly he needed to be tied down to the bed because he was afraid of doing something stupid. It's, it's ridiculous. In fact, they go on and talk about this uh, idea, which has been my theory for years, that there are no bad trips, per se. There's just people in a bad place, and the psychedelics uh, can heighten that, or they themselves can, can uh, embrace that energy. Kind of like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the idea of uh, transitioning between one um, existence to another, one realm to another, one bardo to another, is no different. Uh, whether it be from dreaming state to awake, uh, awake to meditation, or what we define as alive to death to rebirth. This idea of a transference of consciousness just being energy uh, reformed. I'm digressing here, but what I'm getting at is it is so important for us to understand that these psychedelics just unlock something within us. They started talking about the idea, what I've talked about many times before, this idea of the HT2A and the HT1A, so the two serotonin receptors. If you take a little bit of these psychedelics, um, 
it's funny because they talked about how close they, they look to serotonin and, and they dance around how LSD works, for example, but they didn't really explain it, which I understand now um, because they're scientists and, and this lady Gull, you can actually hear how she thinks she's going to prove uh, that um, the chemical basis of this experience, which I laugh because it's never going to happen. Same as I had one gentleman tell me that... Um, you know, placebo has been proven. We know it's the chemical that causes placebo. And I just chuckled. And he proceeded to go and get a, a research paper who he says explained how it was a chemical. But he just mentioned how, you know, it uh, the, the placebo, they've been able to prove that placebo is a thing. But they haven't been able to prove what it is, where it comes from. I mean, this is this idea of metta. So you could tell right away that this scientist, the way that she talked about how uh, activating the HT2A is this window to the soul, window to uh, this experience. But what I argue, and I've always argued, is, and here's what happens. You take the LSD, and I believe the, the chemistry term is it's a ligand, a ligand sounds like a liger, but uh, ligand uh, just means it's essentially a doorstop for these uh, neural, uh, these receptors, right? So these neurotransmitters keep uh, coming instead of coming in a little bit. And it, you know, the, the, it's a door stop is the way I explain it. And I, and I came up with this this morning. This is a doorstop for the doors of perception, right? So this goal um, scientist mentioned this idea of a narrowing of perception, right? We've talked about this before, that you couldn't survive perceiving every hair on your body and uh, clothes rubbing against your skin. We see this with the autistic. They very often have these weird, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, issues. Like myself, I really hated tags on shirts and underwear and such because it would scratch and scratch me. Um, the argument for that is the the windows or the doors of perception are a little bit wider. Uh, when it comes to trauma, the argument is it's because uh, of the fight or flight response that just by the nature of having been traumatized and the resultant trauma-informed adaptations, which has you walk around uh, constantly in a state of fight or flight or fear or what have you, on edge. And I argue this isn't that different from the dyslexic brain. Because as we were talking about before and, and as they were talking about in the podcast, this idea that psychedelics just flood the brain. And I've talked about this in a number of times in my podcast. Psychedelics flood the brain with all of this input that we don't normally perceive. It's there. Kind of like Buddha nature, kind of like the self, kind of like perception. It's always there. It's just it's usually filtered out very much like the dyslexic. Like I, I mentioned before, if I were taking a test in school, um, I'd chuckle because they say about, you know, being calm and quiet. Um, I would hear everything. I could hear people's pencils on the paper, uh, the distinctive sound of a pencil being placed you know, set down, the fan. I would even, um, you know, be waiting for that 
distinctive sound, uh, you know, the the sound of when uh, a fan that is oscillating back and forth and when it reaches, you know, the maximum of one way or the other and it clicks, you know what I mean? That's like the fan, you can kind of get used to the hum of the fan, it's pretty constant. But when it going back and forth like that, it's a click, clink, you know, like it can be a little bit disturbing. Same as, as I said, someone drops a pencil or uh, rustles the paper too much. But as a dyslexic, I digress, I apologize, but as a dys dyslexic, you don't filter any of this stuff out, right? All of this stuff comes in and you have to manage in the noise, as it were. And so that's why I argue psychedelics are kind of like a mindful experiment because for your average noob who is either, you know, neurotypical or not very experienced with psychedelics, when they take a psychedelic, not usually the first time, which is a weird affective of psychedelics, a lot of the times people don't have the full experience the first time. That's why I kind of minimize first trip uh, experience reports because you have no idea how to express this. And in, in my opinion, until you've had a number of experiences, you're not going to be able to uh, put this stuff into words, let alone integrate this because it's so out of the norm, whatever. So I argue on a first trip, these atypical, uh, these, uh, sorry, these neurotypical people experience uh, a new state where the doors of, of, of perception are just, you know, thrown open, not usually for, you know, first timers, but it may seem as though they're just being flooded with uh, perceptions and thoughts and all of this crazy stuff. And I argue, well, that's the dyslexic brain every day. Um, I know of a few other uh, dyslexics who have experience with psychedelics. And yes, not only did they enjoy it, but uh, they, like me, used to play around with it, right? Um, much preferred to uh, take it uh, with introspection in mind. The, the whole podcast talked about set in setting a lot, which is also proving my theory, right? Um, you have to uh, go into it with, with um, intention. That's something they forgot to mention. But they did kind of mention it in passing. They, they mentioned it as part of set in setting, meaning um, the intention will be part of the set in setting, but it's not. Intention is separate from set and setting, but it's nice to hear that they're talking about set and setting now, Right? So, for almost anybody in this situation, I like that they talked about this, that it can be uh, healing or re-traumatizing. I talked about this before, how um, microdosing or using psychedelics for the traumatized can actually make things worse. But... I guess now I've got some thinking to do on this subject because technically I guess it depends on how much trauma. Because if we look at the dyslexic brain taking psychedelics, they're nowhere near as thrown for a loop as your neurotypical. So I wonder if the dyslexic brain is also less apt to be challenged in a similar way when it comes to these ideas.
But that's just something I'm kicking around here. But yes, I've been talking so long. I think what I'll do is I'll do the podcast uh, kind of like a you know a view report and some of my own uh, insights. Uh, I'll do that as a separate cast because uh, I think this here has less to do with the idea of the podcast and the discussion of of how psychedelics can help with creativity and, and an understanding of consciousness because that, not much came of that. It's a lot of theory still. But for me, what I've come to realize is, especially the last week or two, I've been striving to figure out my place. Right, Because as a kid... I thought for a while, I thought I'd become a dentist. And that was mainly because I wasn't afraid of the dentist. So everyone thought, oh, well, that's amazing, right? Everyone is afraid of the dentist, but I never was. Um, and then I thought I was going to be a soldier, an officer, actually, try to uh, reduce waste, right? Peace. I wanted to be a warrior for peace. Well, that didn't turn out uh, <laughs> to Canada uh, at the time, uh, what was it, mid-90s? They weren't really looking for uh, for officers. Uh, the lowest mark, supposedly, they let into the Royal Military College uh, the previous year was in the 90s. Whew, for someone who was less of a student and more of a soldier, that seemed daunting to be able to try to overcome, especially at that time. But... I digress again. This seems to be more about uh, my place in the world. Uh, later, I thought it'd be business or economics, uh, right? Um, and then in banking, uh, again, I was recruited under the auspices that I could help people, and you know, but no, you're just a glorified salesman in the bank. And then I thought I'd uh, go into some sort of a mindful field. I actually got my, uh, my AZ, my uh, commercial driver's license with the uh, air brake endorsement. So I could drive just about anything on the planet. Um, I was a locksmith as well when I was young. So, I mean, that's nothing new for me that being both uh, kinetically and, and uh, psychically uh, diverse. But what what was galling for me was to see how poorly these uh, truck drivers are treated. I mean, barely paid more than minimum wage in some districts, overworked uh, in others. Like, There's incredible laws governing uh, commercial drivers, but you wouldn't believe the number of um, uh, organizations that expect the drivers to break those rules, right? And, and guess who gets in trouble for that? It's only the driver. That's why not paying them what they're worth is disgusting because some of our other laws have it that if some idiot causes an accident and a commercial truck is involved, well, that commercial truck gets investigated, that uh, truck driver gets investigated, and they may lose their license and their livelihood because of some moron in a four-wheeling vehicle doesn't understand that it can take two to eight times as much uh, distance for these vehicles to stop, never mind react, right? So <laughs> having watched that video, maybe I've realized where uh, I fall because I've always loved uh, philosophy. That was definitely where I wanted to go. 
But from an early age, I was told that is not something you go into, especially even in school. I mean, early guidance counselors tried to push me into, well, military officer was top. Um, even in my aptitude, believe it or not, I don't know why. Funeral director, <laughs> that was another one. I was an incredibly traumatized kid, right? But nothing uh, was said about uh, going into something of value. It was all about uh, making the best, right? Talking about how disabled you are or whatever. It was never trying to see the opportunities in what many see as disadvantage, right? Because philosophy can definitely benefit from those that think outside of the norm, or more importantly, those that have been traumatized or those who are of uh, atypical uh, thought or understanding. Right? But I was discouraged, strongly discouraged from going into philosophy. I even wanted uh, to major in it. I was discouraged from even taking more than a few philosophy classes because I was told it would, would take away from my business degree. Right, because uh, I was being pushed into uh, management accounting, right? But what maybe I've come to realize is I've spent a lifetime trying to manage and deal with trauma. And I think most importantly, my experience with psychedelics and theogens of all types, all types, and so many trips that I really couldn't even count. I couldn't count. Even last night talking with the wife, I can barely remember some of my first trips because of how comparatively memoryless they are. I'm so awkward, I apologize. But compared to how intense and how memorable uh, later trips were when you're taking, like, after you've gotten comfortable. Even Reggie Watch mentioned his first uh, LSD trip and how nervous he was. I was excited to take my trips. Like, I couldn't wait to uh, to trip uh, and see what sort of insights or what sort of benefit I would experience after the fact. That's the big thing. In this podcast, they spent a lot of time talking about um, right the uh, the healing potential, and uh, it's it's incredible how much is missed by this. I mean, the argument uh, had been made that maybe we should put uh, some sort of uh, version of psilocin in the water. Well, there is a major mistake that they came across. They were She's supposed to be a scientist, this girl, and they compare uh, lysergic acid dithylamide uh, with the serotonin molecule and psilocybin, which is hilarious because she should have compared it to the psilocin molecule. Because if you understand the chemistry, and it's just all for optics, it just I think it kind of shows how... They're trying to get people to uh, believe in the happy fiction because psilocin is actually the chemical that ends up uh, affecting us, right? You take psilocybin in mushrooms, but that gets very quickly uh, converted to psilocin, and it's psilocin that actually gives us uh, the, the, uh, the experience. So a little bit of a, a mistake there, but it's still interesting. It's interesting to see, as they said in this discussion, that um, maybe the, uh, what would you call it, the uh, um, the stigma of psychedelics truly is wearing off. 
uh, because I tried to share, as you can tell, I mean, I don't know with my podcast, uh, it is on Anchor and Spotify. I don't know if, if uh, the podcast has been, um, what do you call it, uh, not as widely uh, distributed because it doesn't show up in a lot of searches, maybe because of this, because uh, I've discovered that they do a search into the audio of podcasts and videos, right? Um, so a few years ago, I actually registered some domain names that relate to cannabis and uh, psychedelics and healing. Uh, but believe it or not, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a market for it. The only people that were interested in that stuff were uh, extremists, right? The same thing that worried me about teaching a new protocol uh, as it relates to mindfulness and meditation, particularly for healing trauma. Because you wouldn't believe how many people uh, are attracted to to these these things who need much, much, much more professional help uh, than, you know, uh, some of these average people like I who are just sharing a protocol that helped for us. So I've really been wary to share too much of my own healing protocol out of fear of others, but I mean, we can't, can't be held back by things like that. So that's why I got this idea that maybe it is a community that needs to be created right? Coaching uh, is important, right? We can do a lot of one-on-one coaching in a community. But of course, vetting, right? That's the important part of a community. If somebody is showing uh, some issues or if they admit to some issues, then you can't enable them. Like how often, I mean, I've even seen some Discord servers that are nothing but mental health um enabling I mean, like there's this discord server on the internet that is nothing but um, mental health uh, um, how do I explain this uh, it's just a bunch of people who are denying the fact that they are are harming their own health it's people who think that they can be their own doctor it's people who think that they can uh, they can heal their schizophrenia with um, with, uh, well, with 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 uh, diet, exercise. I mean, they may be right, but if you're if you're so bad that you know you have schizophrenia, I think that's something that we should probably look at uh, in a professional. Uh, that that's something that does require a therapist. Let's be honest, because I mean, you're at the extreme end of of the spectrum at that point. Right? You're not someone who is, is having a little bit of trouble. Right? And I think that's where a lot of our problems is lying. Right? Because, believe it or not, this was kind of proven. I mentioned it before. It was his name, Sebastian Younger's uh, book, Tribe. He mentioned that um, the numbers for vets, I mean, this is not, it's, it's, it's not a for sure. But if you look at the numbers of vets who are traumatized, PTSD patients, they found that the ones that were most vocal about needing help were the ones that needed it the least. What I mean by that is, I said it kind of backwards, the ones that reached out for help the least were the most traumatized and the ones in most need of help. And so I wonder if that is very similar 
to what we see uh, in broader everyday life. That the people that actually do go out and seek the help, the ones that are, you know, in these meditation classes, or these ones that are trying to use keto for to heal their mental illness, it seems to be the ones that I don't know how to say this. This is really early on my theory here, but it seems to me that the people that need the help the most are being discouraged from taking part in the community of healing because there are so many people who are giving them a bad name or making them feel uh, worse, right? Because of uh, fake it till you make it. That's something that I see a lot um, because... I've been to the puppet show and I've seen the strings. I kind of see through people's BS. And so that's why I've seen a lot of people who say they're doing well, but in reality you can tell they're just barely keeping it together. And so th these people will say this shit and it leads to other people thinking, oh my God, I'll never be able to hold it together because no one admits, like I've said before, that life is utter chaos. And the only reason why there seems to be some order in the chaos is because of our brains. Our brains is essentially a, a patterning system. We see order in chaos. There is no order in chaos. That would be an oxymoron, I believe we should call that. We just have the ability to, that synchronicity, the happy fiction, to see, as Camus said, to see into the absurdity of life, or as the Buddhist would say, the, the uh, um, suffering that is life. To see in it and to highlight the positive in spite of that truth. In fact, this podcast goes into this idea that it's actually uh, a reinforcement. It's, it's a narrative theory in the end, once again. Just like, gosh, uh, the work I was working on just uh, yesterday or the day before. It's the same idea. It's the happy fiction of Jung. It's a narrative theory. Uh, to heal trauma is what I was talking about in previous, um, it was a discussion group we had. And we were discussing uh, trauma. And I've mentioned this before, my theory that trauma is an event. But when we're talking about trauma, the experience uh, and the resultant behavior, you know, I call it trauma-informed adaptations. Because if two people can have the exact same experience and only one comes out traumatized, that means it's not the experience that is the cause of the affect or the, you know, the resultant change in behavior and outlook and all that jazz. It was not the experience that caused this trauma-informed uh, adaptation. It was our perception. It was how we integrated it, how we reacted. So in reality, it once again makes the point that we are in control of our experience. And so it makes my point again that if you listen to this podcast or just about any of the modern science that talks about psychedelics, what it seems to be coming down to is what I've said before. And again, they danced around what this nature of self is and what it does. And they never said, I'm going to have to email them and share this term because I think it, it helps explain what's going on. 
I call it an ego recontextualization. It's an understanding of, in French, you are not au bas du ciel. You're not the base of the sky. You know, you're not the axis of the universe. You're not the hinge pin of, of, uh, of existence. You're just part, not apart from, but a part. A together, a unity, as, as uh, just about every system tries to teach. Right? The gestalt, which I love, the gestalt of all of this. Right? Because you'll see this in these doctors. They'll talk about, oh, yes, I, she actually think, mentions gestalt, gut. And gestalt is a German word, meaning it's, 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 uh, it's a pattern. We see pattern, but right, there is no separation of the parts. Right? And gestalt, in therapy, that would be the mind and body are a system. You can't separate the two. But when it comes to this, they, want, they break the gestalt. Because she actually goes on to try to explain how, oh, well, you know, this psychedelic experience is just now it's, we're going to be able to see that it's chemicals and, what? What? And they proceed to talk about that maybe there's something more and they don't mention metta. If you believe in gestalt, if you believe there's possibly something more that we can tap into, how in the heck do you still think that the psychedelic experience, this this transcendental experience, the one I've talked about that activates both of the serotonin receptors, the, the deeper HD2A needs to be activated for you to get what a lot of people um, consider kind of like a God experience or the ego recontextualization that I mentioned. They believe in Gestalt. They mention Gestalt. They mention there may be something more that we can't prove, right? Empiricism might not be everything. They even mention William James. So I would hope they read radical empiricism. Yet, they go on and on and on talking about how they're trying to prove the, the, the physical or the chemical basis of this experience instead of ever talking about the tetralemma or the cetascotti, cetascotti, whatever you want to call it. This idea that maybe it's the chemicals, maybe it's that, maybe it's a combination, maybe it's none of the above. Maybe we're not asking the right questions. Maybe we're not even able to understand the answers if we were able to ask the correct questions. Gestalt means that no matter what we can prove, there may likely be something more. In the end, the truth might be out of our grasp. And so in the end, it all boils down to trust. Trust.